we uh, support many missionaries all across the world and here at home, and we are so grateful, so thankful for them, and uh, so glad that when we get a chance to meet some. And so uh, we are meeting uh, Christopher and Katie Scroggins. Uh, they have been great friends of ours um, for, for a long time. Uh, since 2013, I think is when we met, right? We went to, Becky and I went to Alaska on a missions trip. Katie was unable to go on that trip. We met her later. But uh, I met Scroggins, and uh, he's kind of weird like me. So we just like hit it off really well, uh, and we were great friends. We went to Alaska on a missions trip. We were doing some kids' crusades, and uh, they were, it was uh, several of the leadership team from Sam Houston State Chi Alpha which is uh, one of the best Chi Alphas around, the best Chi Alpha around, I don't know, maybe top, oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so went, and so several people were there, and, and, and they came with us, so we wrote this script for Children's uh, Crusade, and uh, we, we cast Christopher as the bad guy, okay? And so we had Darth Vader music playing as he walks in, you know, the dun, 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 dun you know, all this, and the kids are just booing <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, what an introduction, you know, it's like he walks in, they're just, boo, boo, okay, well, we're not going to boo Christopher Scroggins here today, okay, or maybe we should, have you ever been booed before you came up to preach? No, nope. nope? well, maybe we, no, nah, let's not do that, <laughs> he's like, nope, first time for everything, right? Uh, great, great friends of ours. They, um, they've had, we've had been to birthday parties with their kids. They have five children. Uh, one's right here, and, and I guess the others are upstairs with Pastor Becky and, uh, and Kids Church. Um, great friends of ours. You're going to love them. They're great. Let's not boo, but let's give a big hand and a cheer for Christopher Scroggins. Come on. Well, good morning, everybody. I haven't been booed before I preach, but after. Um, so that being said, you're in for a treat. Um, now, my name is Christopher Scroggins. Uh, like Adam said, I'm a, I'm a missionary. Uh, my wife and I are the Chi Alpha campus directors for Angelo State University Chi Alpha. And if you're wondering where that is, it's in San Angelo, Texas. And if you're wondering where that is, wherever you're thinking, we're two hours away from it. Right? You're like, that's vaguely in Midland. No, two hours away from that. Is that vaguely by Abilene? Two hours away from that. Is that by the border of Mexico? No, two hours away from that. Right? We're a geographic anomaly. How long does it take to get to us? At least two hours. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, we are in a land where there are no such thing as trees. Um, I haven't seen this much green and water in four years. It's... I was like driving here, and I was just like, there's another creek. How do, they, how do they have, what do they do with all this water? Are they like having lawns with grass? I like, um, I live on, like, essentially I live on Tatooine now, um, the desert planet, except I don't have two sons, you know, like, like Luke. Um, but yeah, every now and again I'll be on the phone with somebody, and a dust storm will roll in, and I'll lose my cellular connection. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. My wife and I, before that, we were missionaries overseas to the Czech Republic, um, which is a nation right in the middle of Europe, and we had a wonderful time, absolutely loved it there. We lived in a spot that was about 45 minutes away from where they filmed the Narnia movies, right? Uh, if you remember, like, Chronicles of Narnia, all the external shots, all those forests and outdoors, that was where we lived. And then the Lord called us to West Texas, 
So I think I didn't pray enough. I don't know what happened. Uh, I described San Angelo as Mars, but with a breathable atmosphere. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, we do Chi Alpha, and it is great. Chi Alpha changed my life, and actually sitting in this room is one of the most important people in my life. My old small group leader from Chi Alpha, Jeff Clifton, right over there. Yeah, give him a hand. There are very few times in your life when you can say this without exaggerating. I would not be walking with Jesus today if it weren't for Jeff. That man has more patience, let me tell you. He can tell you stories about me. He's got dirt. That's why I can never run for political office. He just opened his mouth. I was the worst small group member, but he had the patience of Jesus and just won me over with his long-suffering and love. And uh, I'm not exaggerating. And, uh, yeah, we, we uh, so I love Jeff, and I'm so grateful for him. He is a man of God, and I'm so thankful, and I'm sure he's uncomfortable now. But uh, everybody go look at him right now. Turn your heads. Look at him. There he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Pastor Adam, for letting us come and share. Um, I love Adam and Becky because they, um, they have something that the world desperately needs. Right now, our culture is so cynical, so cynical, and so just um, depressed. And Adam has this joy, doesn't he? Unconquerable joy. The man's always laughing, always smiling. Like, I just get around him, and I feel better about my life. And I'm me. I mean, look at me. You know? I look at Adam, I'm like, oh, everything's going to be okay. But he's going to conquer the gates of hell with laughter. And, and it's true, and it's beautiful. So you guys are really blessed to have him as a pastor. I hope you all know that. Um, but I... Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to the Burke of Burke book of uh, talking is my job, people. First um, Thessalonians. And while you're looking for that, uh, I want to show you a picture of my kids. I got my family up there. Uh, that is my beautiful family. Look at that. Wonderful. Five children. We had five kids in seven years because we're dumb. Uh, I haven't slept in almost 14 years now. Uh, but that's my beautiful wife. Uh, she's right here. And then my daughter Finnegan is up front as well. And then um, we have the boys, uh, Donald, Henry, Harold, and George. And there will be a test later. So uh, it's the entrance to heaven exam. If you don't have those kids' names down, I don't make up the rules, folks. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, that's uh, all of our kids, Finnegan, Donald, Henry, Harold, and George. And they are, are great. My daughter Finnegan, I think she aspires to be a Disney princess that skips through fields and has birds sing with her. And that's, that's her dream, and that's okay. Uh, my son Donald, there, the one with the yellow pants and glasses, he's my clone. Uh, he's my comeuppance. He's my payback. So, Jeff, I know you're suffering. I love you. Uh, that's why I'm so appreciative of you now. Um, but my son Donald, he's like a math genius. One time we were just hanging out, getting coffee after school. Well, I was getting coffee. I was, he's 11. He wasn't having coffee. But he's like, Dad, I want to see how far I can get uh, just doing math in my head. And I was like, okay, teach their own, I guess, right? And so he's like, I just want to double numbers, 2, 4, 8, 16. He's like, give me 20 seconds, and let's see how far I can get. Just in his head. The kid got to like 262,144. Just every 20 seconds, cranking out an answer. Isn't that incredible? Like, he is going to take over the world. Uh, like, I don't know what he's going to do. But that's my son, Matt, uh, uh, Donald. He's like a math genius. And Henry is our redhead. Pray for him. He's the middle of five, and he's a redhead. Um, we're going to take up an offering later. That's just going to go to his future therapy bills. 
I can say that. I'm a, I'm a middle child. Anybody else a middle child in here? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. All you older, younger, you know, y'all, whatever. Um, and then uh, the one that's kind of making the cutesy face is Harold. He's a living cartoon character. Um, in the mornings, he'll wake up, he'll run up to my wife and go, Mommy, I love you. You get 1,000 hugs. Isn't that sweet? And then he hits me in the kidneys and runs away. <laughs> you get a punch, Dad. Bam! And I'm like, what the heck? So I trip him as he runs away. Um, he deserves it. And then uh, George is the baby. And that's all you need to know. George is the kind of kid that he knows he's the baby, so he'll work the crowd. You know what I mean? Some days he doesn't want to put his pants on, so he'll just walk around with no pants. He's like, Dad, put my pants on. I'm like, no, you're five. And he's like, all right, there's like six other people in this house. And he just goes around until he finds somebody. It's usually Finn or Donald. And he just works the crowd. You know what I mean? But those are my kids. I love them. Uh, my house is chaos all the time, and it's beautiful. Um, but uh, let's dive into the Bible, huh? That sounds good? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, you are so amazing. You are so good and so kind to us. Lord, I pray that um, you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we surrender our rights to you. Lord, we give up the right to be ourselves. We ask that you would come and take the throne of our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in here. You are wanted in here. Holy Spirit, come and convict us of sin and convict us of righteousness, Lord. Put your finger on what needs to change. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So personally, this has become one of my favorite verses. This is one of the go-to verses that I try and live by. And I think it's because uh, it's the beating heart of Christianity. I think this is the, the thing that, that drives the church of Jesus Christ today. Right? And, and if you heard the word from the Lord this morning, this confirms that. That was a good word. I don't know who gave that, but God bless you. Thank you for that. This, this verse encapsulates the purpose of all the gifts of the Spirit that Pastor Adam was talking about the last couple of weeks. This verse encapsulates the purpose of everything that the church does. It's all about others. If you indulge me just a moment, I'll set the stage to help unpack this a little bit, right? So let me ask you a question. What do you get a person that has everything? What do you get a person that has everything? Like, if you were going to buy a present for, like, Jeff Bezos, who fires rockets at the moon for fun, right? Or if you were to need to buy a present for Elon Musk, the guy that dropped $100 billion on Twitter for funsies. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you get them? Something unique? Something rare? Probably. But odds are they already have everything. Right? It kind of reminds me of, like, when I was a kid. Do you remember being a kid and, like, buying a present for your parents? Like, you know, your dad would, like, give $20 of his own money to you, right, for you to go and buy something for him. You know what I mean? Um, 
I can tell you as a dad, I, I'm pretty content. I have pretty much everything I want. You know, I'm, I'm pretty happy. But the gifts that bless me the most are the things that come from my kids. Not the things that I give them money for them to go buy. I don't need another tie. I'm okay, you know. But it's the things that they make for me. I love their art. And I have a picture of some of their artwork, right? Um, so this is the wall of my office, right? Uh, on the left here is a Christmas card my son Donald made for me. I'm a huge Houston Dynamo fan. Soccer, anyone in here? Probably not. But God bless, they've been terrible for 10 years. But... Uh, that's us cheering a goal um, that happened, uh, which you know he's imagining because we never score any goals. <laughs> and I just have different artwork that the kids have made, right? I love this. And, and every time they draw something for me, I put it up on the wall in my office. And there's always a space on the wall. I can always make more space, right? George brings me something. He, the little doodle at the top thing, he kind of made that for me. Um, I think the one on the right is a chicken. I, don't, I can't tell anymore. But Harold brings me something. George brings me something. Donald, Finnegan, Henry. I always put a place on the wall, and I love this. We have in our house, we actually, Katie will find the best pieces that they make, and she'll frame them, and we have, like, the kid art wall. We love it because it comes from them. Does that make sense? So what do you give the God of the universe? What is an offering? What's a gift that you can give to Jesus? Right? Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's in everything in it, the world in all who live in it. That's literally everything that exists. Right? So can we, give, can we even give God something that he doesn't have? Is there a gift we can give him that he doesn't have? If he has everything that literally exists, then what can we give to God? Well, if God is a father, what do you think the kind of gifts that he values are? The kind of gifts that our father values would be similar to what any father values, a gift from his child. The gifts that God loves most are things that come from us because we are these finite expressions of God's infinite character, right? We are created in God's image, but God is infinite, and so every one of his images is different. And each of us express a unique and special part of his character that we will never see before. We've never seen before and we'll never see again. Does that make sense? So what can we bring to God that he would cherish and hang on the wall in his office? Things from us, ourselves. But what if I told you, despite what the psalmist says, that there are things that God does not have? Would you believe me? What if, what if my kids left and never returned? I would be robbed of all the silly little, little drawings that they would produce for me. And there would be bare spots on the walls in my office. So let me ask you this, is God missing some of his children? Are there blank spots on the wall of God's office? See, this is truly the gift that is worthy of God. The gift of bringing him what he does not have. 
In church terms, we call that the lost. Have you all heard that word before? Yeah, okay. Just making sure. Maybe this is too much for this early in the morning. In Luke chapter 15, uh, we have some of my favorite parables, the parable of the lost things. Right? This is Jesus speaking to a crowd. And it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the picture of God's heart for the lost. If we are truly seeking to give something to God that he values, we must go out into the world to win the lost. See, the shepherd leaves the safety of his pasture and goes into the wilderness to seek just one sheep. Your church understands this. That's why you all support so many missionaries. See, he's leaving safety. He's leaving comfort. If you can just imagine in your mind, how many grueling miles over hills and valleys do you think that shepherd walked? If he's walking anywhere like where I live, he's walking through cactus. He probably walked through pleasant meadows and got scraped and scratched by thorny patches of briars and brambles. And then with sore feet and aching limbs, he finally finds that one lost lamb, puts it on his shoulder, and returns. See, God is never completely happy with the 99. As long as the one is still missing, his heart aches for its return. And the thing is, the shepherd most likely didn't own the sheep. He was probably a hired hand or a slave or a son. The hired hand searches for the lost lamb because he knows there's a job that is expected of him. The slave searches for the lost lamb because he knows a debt has been paid on his behalf and his life is no longer his. The son searches for the lamb because he wants to please his father. No matter what your motivation is, you still have motivation to go and seek the lost. And then the return of the lost sheep is one of such a, it's such a momentous occasion that God calls all around him to celebrate with them. But here's the thing, they're not only celebrating the return of the lamb, but also the adventure of the shepherd. Do you see that? Look what the shepherd has done. He's returned the sheep to me. Look, we found the lost sheep. And now some of you may be sitting in here and thinking, well, missionary boy, that's what you're called to do. That's why you go out and do your missions thing. But Jesus follows it up with another parable. He says in verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, each of these coins is equally valuable. That lost coin is not forgotten 
or dismissed is not worth finding. It is sought after. The woman is rearranging furniture. She's shining light into dark places. She's turning her house upside down looking for the lost coin. Imagine how she must have looked to her neighbors. She's like carrying a lamp around, shining it all over the place, throwing open the curtains. In my head, she's like throwing the coffee table out the window to make space so that she can look better, right? The neighbors are probably like, ah, Janine just lost it. She's putting her living room furniture on the lawn. Bill, come look. See, for her, no effort is too great and no search is too far because she knows the value of the coin. She knows the value of what was lost. And here's the thing. She was searching her home. So many times when we talk about the lost, we talk about that shepherd that goes out and looks through hills and valleys, right? But we always forget that the woman searches her home. Hey, I don't know how to break this to you, but did you know it is not only the pastor's job to win the lost? Do you know what the pastor's job is biblically? To equip you to reach the lost. And notice this woman is rearranging her house. She's sweeping. She's cleaning. Sometimes you got to clean up your life to win the lost. She's moving stuff out of, her, out of rooms into the yard so that she can see better. Sometimes there's things you got to move out of your life to make room for the lost. Put down your phone. Turn off the TV. Bake a cake for your neighbor. How many of you actually know the names of your neighbors? I mean, we're just being honest, right? We can be honest in church. Is that too close to home? Do you want me to, I can tell some more jokes. Even though there are nine other coins, the one that is found is rejoiced over when it's found. See, I just tend to think that we're not motivated to make room for the lost in our life. We're not motivated to clean up our lives to reach the lost so that we can be somebody that the lost want to be around. I, I'm convinced we're not motivated to go out and extend the boundaries of our lives to welcome people into our lives because we don't know the value. Because we just don't care about the value of the people around us. They are infinitely valuable. God has blank spots on the walls of his office. And all we have to do is open our hearts. It's so easy. I shudder to think where I'd be if some 19-year-old kid at Sam Houston State University didn't make room in his life for me. It's terrifying. But I stand here today because one person made room for the lost. And he taught me to do the same. And now I'm a missionary. These parables help us understand how God loves and values his children. But it also poses a question to us. How much are we willing to love and value God's children? Can I tell you the story about one of my heroes? One of my heroes in the faith, right? Not Jeff Clifton. This guy's a close second, though. This guy named William Whitting Borden. William Whitting Borden. Have you heard of him before? 
His, his family owned that milk company, yes, like the one with the cow. Yeah, like you're thinking of it. Yes, that, that milk company. That, his family owned that, and he was heir to that fortune, right? He got saved while listening to a sermon by D.L. Moody. What a life to live, right? Oh, my goodness. If y'all don't know who D.L. Moody is, he's, uh, just Google him and then read some of his sermons. You'll get saved. And then he got inspired to be a missionary while listening to the sermons of R.A. Torrey in London, right? And if you don't know who R.A. Torrey is, again, Google him, read some of his stuff, you'll get saved. It'll be great. So Borden then goes to college at Yale University in 1905, and he started a Bible study, just a little Bible study on, on his campus amongst his classmates. And by the time he graduated from Yale... 1,300 students were meeting in his Bible study groups. Borden's outreach ministry also spread beyond the campus. With his own money, he funded what he called the New Haven Rescue Mission, and there did personal work himself. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, in cheap lodging houses, or some restaurant, where he would take some poor, hungry fellow to feed him, and lead him to Jesus. In 1906, he went to a student volunteer movement conference in Nashville, Tennessee, where he heard another hero of the faith, Samuel Zwemer, who, if you want to read some of his stuff, buy, Google it, buy it, you'll get saved. Zwemer opened a map in front of all the students, and he pointed to the Muslim world and invited students to go and evangelize there. This became William Borden's call. This became his great life's goal. So Bill wrote home to his parents about his desire to be a missionary. And one of his friends heard about this and expressed disbelief. And he said, Bill, you're throwing your life away as a missionary. In response, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. No reserves. And he fixed his eyes on that goal, and he charged forward. He attended Princeton Theological Seminary, graduated in 1912. During that time, during his time in seminary, he funded the National Bible Institute, Moody Bible Institute, and the China Inland Mission, which became the agency that sent him to the Uyghur, the Muslim people in northwest China, which I'm sure you've seen in the news. Continue to pray for them, please. Later, his father, in a last-ditch effort to get him to not waste his life, said, Son, if you continue with this, I'm cutting you out of the will, and you will never be welcome in this family again. To which Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no, re no retreats. No retreats. He finished his studies at Princeton, and then he sailed for China. And because he was hoping to work with the Muslim people, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. And while there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, he was dead at 25. His mother had been planning to visit him, so she was already on a boat. She arrived a few weeks after his death. And when she opened his Bible, she found two more words written in the back. No regrets. 
Borden left $800,000 to missions and ministries, which in today's money is equivalent to $2.1 billion. Let me ask you, how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to give? Because Borden, when he prayed, he saw the blank spots on the wall in God's office. How much do you value the lost around you? Last night, we were having dinner with Adam and Becky, and they told me that in the neighborhoods that surround this church, there's 11,000 people. 11,000 people. How much do we value them? How much are we willing to give? How much are we willing to serve? How much are we willing to allow space in our lives for the lost? See, every time you sacrifice, suffer, love, every time you do what is right, God hangs a little picture on the office in His wall. Because God cherishes all the beautifully unique works that you bring to Him. And it's works that only you can do. And there's spots on His wall where only our crude drawings are meant to hang. Things that only our Father can truly cherish. But there's blank spots because there's lost. So who will help fill them? See, there's some of us that are like the shepherds, right? I've done the whole flying overseas thing. I always tell people that uh, I never did more for someone's prayer life than when I got on an international flight with five children. You want to see true terror in someone's face? They look around. Oh, God, there's a lot of open seats around me. And then they bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, please don't let them sit by me. It's true. You can laugh at that. It's really okay. It's a good joke, I think. Some of us will go to those far-flung foreign places. Some of you may be sitting in here, and you may be called to be a missionary. That's true. It's crazy to think about. I have so many friends that were just, like one of my friends, he's a missionary helping refugees in southern Italy, and him and his wife, he had a great job as a programmer for a big tech company in Nashville, and then just, now he's a missionary. Isn't that nuts? But I think most of us are actually going to be like the woman and we're going to search our home. And if you're searching your home, you've got to clean up your home. And you've got to move some stuff out. So to have all these seats that are empty in this church filled... Are you willing to turn off the TV an hour early and pray for your neighbors? You don't have to start an hour. Are you willing to turn off your TV five minutes early to pray for your neighbors? Are you willing to bake some cookies, take it next door and introduce yourself? Are you willing to come to church a little bit early to help pastor to help volunteer? Are you willing to go into the nursery? Those are the real, real saints, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, if we really understand 
how much the lost mean to God, if we really understand how badly God wants those blank spots on the office, on the wall of his office filled, if we really understood that, there'd be a waiting list to volunteer. Because we know that when somebody is new in this church visiting and they drop off their kids and you're joyfully taking that child, you know what that does to their hearts because you know what it did to yours. Amen? Is this too much? And then all of you will give. All of you will give and support like William Borden did. Do you notice he was a shepherd that was sent and he was also a woman that cleaned the house. But he supported. He always gave. He always funded. So how much are you willing to give? Does that make sense? You're like shocker that the missionary would bring up money, right? It's actually why I said woo for the business meeting because I know you are going to set your missions budget. But from the first page to the last page of the Bible, it's clear that God desires his children to come back to him. As I wrap this up, the, the worship team can come back up. In Revelation chapter 4, we're given this image, this picture of God on his throne, and then 24 elders are surrounding this throne, and they fall down before him in worship. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And this takes us all the way back to First Thessalonians. What do the elders lay down at the feet of God? Crown. What is a gift that is worthy of God? What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? It's the lost. When that man, one day in the far future, stands before Jesus on judgment day, The Lord's going to go, what do you have to bring? And you know who he's going to bring? Me. And then I'm going to bring others. And every single person that I have led to, to the Lord in my missionary endeavors, every single one of them will come with me and be credited to his account because he was faithful, because he made room. At 19 years old, he just gave up a little bit of his time to spend with me, to open the Bible with me, to get me to read books, to get me to think about Jesus. And y'all know Jeff. There's nothing special about this guy except how godly he is. And if he can do it, if I can do it, if Adam can do it, you can See, this church, it's not primarily a safe and fun place to hang out. 
although it is that. It's not primarily about learning spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study. It's not primarily about exercising the spiritual gifts that we are so richly and wonderfully given. It's not primarily about you even growing in your Christ-likeness. No, the purpose of this church is all about winning the lost back to their father because he deserves them, because he misses them, because there's a blank spot on the wall in his office. His children have left, and his heart is broken. So who in your life is that crown that you will lay down at the throne of God? And if you don't have anyone, make room in your life. It's really easy. I tell people all the time, do you eat dinner? Do you eat dinner? We're, we're Americans. Of course we eat dinner. We eat like three of them, right? Just invite somebody over when you do that. Set out three or four extra plates. It's super easy. So while the band plays, I, I want us to have a little bit of prayer time because here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking because he's cool like that. I believe that the Holy Spirit has put on everyone's hearts somebody that they can reach out to, right? And like, like the word that we got this morning said, it's not about their response, it's about your obedience, right? So while the band is leading us in worship, I want us to take a moment to listen to the voice of the Spirit, and I want us to self-reflect and think, Lord, what do I need to give up? What do I need to give up so that there is room in my life for this person? Some of you may have to just move like an end table out of the house. Some of you got to move a couch, right? But I'm, I'm convinced that this is what life is about. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and then let's stay in that attitude of prayer. And let's individually, one-on-one, just listen to the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts about who we need to pull in close. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, you are so good and so kind. Lord, I thank you that we are at the end of a long line of people that have faithfully loved you and faithfully loved us. Lord, I pray that that line would not end. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what you do and you would speak to our hearts about that one person that we can bring into our lives, pull close, and just have the chance of sharing with them your love for them. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of every voice, of every soul, of every heart's affection. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen.